You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to The Dev Show. I'm Deborah Eckerling, author of Your Goal Guide and founder of The Dev Method, which is my system for goal setting simplified. My vision is to give you the tools, inspiration, and motivation you need to figure out what you want and help you make a plan to get it. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Deborah Eckerling, author of Your Goal Guide and creator of The Dev Method. I specialize in goal setting simplified and event outcome optimization. You can't reach your goals on your own. You constantly need to be meeting new people and learning new things. And that's part of what I do. So every Sunday night, I lead the Goal Chat Twitter chat. And then on Mondays, I bring an awesome guest to dive deep into the topic. And then on Thursday, it magically becomes an episode of the Deb Show podcast. So whether you're watching live or the replay or listening to us, we're glad you're here and choosing your goals. And in today's case, deciding <laughs> to learn more about making decisions. And what a wonderful panel I have for us today. I have Fallon Greyer from B-Dance, and Fallon, Fallon gets, is like my newest friend. Um, she just interviewed me last week, and this is how we do it, right? You meet someone, you connect, and you interview each other, um, right. which is also kind of how I know Lisa Danforth through our friend Doreen. And Jack Griffin comes to us from my newest friend, uh, Chris Cherian, who keeps sending me awesome people, and one of them is you. So lovely to have you here. And Jack also gets the distinction of inspiring this week's topic because I met Jack and I said, so Jack, what do you want to talk about? And one of, he gave me this list, which I love, but one of the the suggestions he made was on decision-making. And I think it, well, it's relevant for lots of reasons, which we're going to dive into, but I think especially because we're like, we live in info overload land and that's just the tip of <laughs> the tip of the iceberg. Yes, I guess I am going to be speaking in really trite phrases today. I will try and get rid of that. But first, why don't I let you all, while I recalibrate myself, I'm going to let you all introduce yourselves and I'm going to go out of order and start with Jack. So Jack, welcome. Please share who you are, why you're here and why this topic. All right. Thank you so much, Deb. Thank you so much for having us and really happy. You're already already giving me too much credit with uh, inspiring today's topic, but uh, at least for who I am and why I care about this issue. My name is Jack Griffin. I'm the founder and CEO of Food Finder, which is a national nonprofit organization based here in Atlanta, Georgia, that uses both its website and mobile app to help food insecure families find and get help from their closest food pantries. So we are a bit of a unique uh, nonprofit in the fact that we are all virtual, but our digital platform pretty much act as interactive maps that can show you where you are, as well as exactly when, where, and how to get help from food aid programs nearby. So uh, as you might imagine, we've been very busy for the past uh, two and a half years, ever since the pandemic hit. And, you know, given that we're still a very small organization um, when it comes to budget, team size, but we have a massive geographic footprint. We're serving folks in all 50 states, more than 10,000 different towns and cities that we've already helped food and secure families uh, within, then there is no shortage of things to divvy up your time with and seemingly a never-ending stream of things that are demanding our attention um, and just being able to, uh, and it's still a learning process for me, how to sift through the noise of what really needs to be done versus what would be nice to do but it's, it's all right if it could be let, um, you know, left to lie for a little bit. So looking forward to a great conversation today. Uh, well, I'm thrilled that you're here. And I think you didn't give yourself enough credit. You founded Food Finder at what age and when? 
I had the idea as a sophomore in high school um, back in 2013. So that was nine years ago. So it's been it's been a minute, but casual 40% of my life on uh, food. <laughs> but so how does someone and I like to think I was a cool teenager, but I know that I really can't imagine starting a global movement at your age. Was it just like the world needs this? I'm going to do it. Uh, honestly, a little bit, you know, half that and the half of, you know, the trope of the accidental entrepreneur holds very true to me. Um, I didn't have any, you know, when I was in elementary or middle school, I didn't have any like super fiery, like activism streak or volunteering. But of course, back then when I was a high schooler, we were coming out of the, uh, we were coming out of the great recession and just, you know, by happenstance one night before school, I was watching a news story that showcased how difficult life really was for families who were not reaping the benefits of the recovery from the recession, but were the ones who were still hit the hardest by the financial crisis. So as soon as I saw, you know, the reality of what kids literally my age were going through, if they were made homeless or made hungry uh, in the wake of the great recession, then that pretty much just shattered my ignorance as to what the reality was um, for honestly millions of kids across the country still to this day. Um, And that's, um, eventually what uh, kicked off a year's worth of research into food insecurity in the fight against hunger. And then, you know, May 2014, Food Finder was born. Wow. Well, a happy eight plus year birthday on that. That's amazing. Good on you. Thank you. We're hanging in there. Awesome. And and who knew that they would need it again now, right? You just don't know when you create. Um, I don't have a really good transition, so I'm just going to transition over to Lisa. Welcome. Great to see you. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Deb. I appreciate you having me back. I'm excited for the conversation. So I am a 30-year, five-time entrepreneur, so making decisions is definitely something that I've had to do, but it's not something that always comes easy. Really excited just to talk about um, you know, how to make those decisions and be able to choose something that is an actual opportunity and not a distraction, because a lot of the people that I work with and a lot of the my choices over the years have added to the overwhelm. And something that seems like a really great opportunity is actually a distraction. So one of the things that I do is I help people to build businesses that will sustain the life they want to live, not consume it, to really help them to walk and not run all day long. We're just so darn busy because we continue to choose add more to our plate without looking at what's the trade-off that that taking something else on, what are we going to be deprioritizing? So decisions, decisions is a, it's a big topic. Uh, absolutely. And, and I know you and I agree on this. It is that balance, but how do you find that balance and how do you choose where your time is going to go? It's exactly. a huge part of this. Well, wonderful to see you. Thank you for joining the conversation and Fallon Hi, Deb. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe that you chose me to be on a panel with amazing people like Lisa and Jack. Well, what can I say? I know awesome people and I love being able to bring them together. That's like, that's like my joy. So thank you. And it really was, we just met a few weeks ago. We did. And it, it, what, doesn't it feel like I've known you for years? <laughs> It already does, but I think it's just part of your charm. You're such a warm and inclusive personality. You're one of these people who you just meet and just fast friends with with everyone. And so it's lovely. I'm so happy to be here. So please tell um, everybody why you are so amazing. Oh, gosh. How about we start instead with um, who am I, what do I do, and why I'm excited about decisions. So um, right now in this moment. Okay, I'm- that's fine. <laughs> that's a good way to go, too. Thank you. Um, So I'm the co-founder and partner at a boutique creative agency called B-Dance, and we specialize in marketing, events, and business intelligence. So uh, prior to working here at B-Dance and starting my own agency, I spent the majority of my career working for some of the world's largest technology companies in executive positions in marketing and operations. The accent is from Australia, but I currently reside in Atlanta, Georgia with my husband and our two sons. And I love this topic and I love decisions for a couple of reasons. One, 
I'm a massive control freak. So where possible, I would like to be the one in charge of making the decisions versus having somebody else make the decisions for me. But secondly, I credit a lot of my personal career success and the success of my family to being able to make effective decisions quickly, especially really big ones like, will I take this job? Will I move overseas? Which house we buy? Uh, those sorts of things that can sometimes paralyze people. So I'm really excited to be here today to learn from you, Lisa and Jack, and maybe even share a few things that might help some other people out. Excellent. Well, I, I know we're already keyed up for a wonderful conversation. So let's jump right into it um, with a really we're going to start with the hardest one. What is the best decision you ever made? Lisa's nodding, so she gets to go first. Ah, okay. like, I'm never nodding again, Deb. <laughs> and, uh, Julie noted, won't do that again. Uh, for me, it was going into coaching. I mean, as a 30-year, five-time entrepreneur, I've done so many different things and made so many different choices, decisions. And for this, this is the biggest one. And I I decided to launch full time into this when I was 50. And I can't tell you how many people were like, what are you doing? Like, I had a very successful boutique catering company. We had been around for, um, gosh, I think probably 12 years at that point. And I just, I knew I wanted to do it. So I have never looked back. I am more happy, excited. The work that I do is inspiring. And I can see the, tra the transformation that it brings for my clients. So for me, now, all the other businesses, I am grateful that I had them because they got me to where I am. They've given me the tools and the skills and the knowledge and the connections to continue doing what I do at the level that I do it. So never look back. Awesome. Well, good for you and good for your clients. You know, when you follow your joy and your bliss and your, mm -hmm. your mission, which I'm all about, then the the big part of the mission, right, is how you help. And when you're helping others, you can really never go wrong. And, and so, Jack, what about you? What's yeah. the best decision you've made? Oh, and it can be in the last 40% of your life for the first 60%. <laughs> yeah. You don't judge. Yeah, no worries. I think I will follow uh, Lisa's awesome example and might be, uh, again, pretty basic, but deciding to not just launch Food Fine. I think it's a much more uh, decision I'm grateful that I took the leap on to go work on Food Finder full-time after I graduated college. Actually, for the first, you know, sort of good and bad to having so much time, in addition to being a full-time student, to work on Food Finder slowly but surely, you know, by the time I was um, a junior in college, I went to the University of Michigan, where I studied both business and social work. Um, and I thought that still for the first half of my college career, I was going to go into the, you know, into the corporate world after graduating college, you know, be a consultant, learn a lot in industry and sort of, you know, build up some savings. And then maybe a few years after graduating college, sort of take stock of how Food Finder was doing. And if I had enough of a, you know, nest egg or, you know, cushion built up, then I could switch into working on Food Finder full time and try to make that my job. Um, it was just by the time I hit senior year, though, um, I was so disillusioned with what I had seen in the spaces that I wanted to go into. It just wasn't for me. Um, and I started to think myself, I didn't want to regret never having given Food Finder everything. Um, we had made a lot of progress already between 2014 and 2018. Uh, and I was just thinking, you know, how much more could we achieve if I didn't have to study for midterms and exams and do all that other stuff in addition to being a student? And that's where it just it took a lot of personal resolve. I had to really um, you know, plead with my parents um, because they were helping send me to uh, university. And this wasn't the game plan for me or them. Um, but I'm just so grateful that that was the hill I was willing to die on. And the fact that I still not only have a salary myself, but we've you know tripled our team size here at Food Find in the last three years. We've you know, found a really great um, you know, path to financial sustainability. Uh, I'm glad I, I took a, a path less traveled, but one that really mattered to me. It's amazing. And again, if you think about all the people who needed you, especially in the last several years, it's like, thank goodness you went the path because you were able to impact yeah. so many more people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So what about you, Fallon? What's your best decision? I think that 
my best decision was choosing to leave my life behind in Australia, not the people, but just my life, and pack up my suitcase and my dog and move as a one single lady from Sydney, Australia, over to Seattle, Washington, in about 2010. That was the decision that put me on the track for massive change in my personal life, what was responsible for my husband and I getting together, deciding to get married, and one that ultimately resulted in me becoming the mother of two small boys. And so that, for me, best decision that I ever made. As an aside, which is something that's great as well, it's also afforded me great success in my career. I've met some of my closest and best friends through taking that uh, journey. So that was my best decision, leaving it all behind in Sydney, moving across halfway around the world, uh, choosing my husband and uh, having a couple of babies. And it really just goes to show what one decision can really true. can really turn into. Um, and this is true for all of you. It's just making that that first step saying, okay, I choose me. I choose this life. I'm moving forward. Now, now let's see what happens. Right? Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is, you know, sometimes the decision that you make might not be with that goal in mind. Like if I think about myself personally, I was incredibly career driven. I wasn't looking to get settled down at all. I'd been offered a position with Microsoft and internal transfer because I'd done been recognized for some great work and some innovative programs. They wanted me to take it global, move to the mothership and then work on that. So I received a great job opportunity and then I moved over there for that. And that was my goal. But a little bit like stepping stones, I stepped on this one stone trying to cross a river. And then when I got there, I saw these other opportunities that were open to me and so on and and so forth. And so that was the big thing for me as well as I didn't go there with that expressed goal, but I got so much more than I thought that I would. Well, and this also goes to in, uh, most of you know me, um, I'm all about the mission, you know, to get what you want, you need to know what you want. And it starts with okay, when I think about the life I want, what does that look like? What is that first step? And then everything goes from there. You know, the your your mission, your motto, that's your compass. And you use that for moving forward. But I want to hear from, from you all. What criteria do you use for making decisions? And so let's start with you, Fallon, because you, uh, now I think driving cross country was a big deal. Moving to another country, much bigger deal. So tell me, what is your decision-making criteria? So there is a variety. I'm all about plans, powerful questions, that kind of thing. So depending on if I'm making a decision for myself or for somebody else, it's, it's different. But one thing that's perhaps a little bit controversial is I'm all about emotional decision-making. Who here is a rational decision-maker? versus an emotional decision maker. If you're a rational decision maker, put your hand up. And if you're watching, put it in the chat. Okay, rational decision makers, cool. I really like to weed out things rationally and create my short list, but then I always come back to the emotion and I let the emotion make the final decision for me, which is how am I going to feel about this? Mm -hmm. How, you know, um, if I go back to that old marketing trite of when you're um, working with clients, what do you want people to think, feel, do? Um, I go back to that, is how do I feel in this current situation? How do I want to feel when I get there? And uh, and then focus around that a lot of the time, which is I can do all the practical stuff, but at the end of the day, how is it going to make me feel? And so I use decision matrices and all of these different questions and that kind of thing. But at the very end, when I get, you know, is it this one or is it that one? which one is my heart and intuition and my emotions telling me to do? Well, you can't go wrong though. I mean, you do have, and and I'm all about the lists and in journaling your thoughts and what makes the most sense for you. But at the end of the day, it really goes to, can you live with this decision? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think that we'll go through and talk a little bit more about this, but oftentimes um, people don't make the decision that they want because they're afraid of making the wrong decision, but their criteria for the wrong decision is rooted in what are the consequences often about other people's reaction. And so, so many people are off there around there making the right decision, um, but then living in pain and agony. Like, all, I mean, I'm sure that Lisa sees this all the time in her line of work <laughs> as well. People are like, I was just checking, checking off my life list. I was a good girl. I went to college. I was a doctor. They don't want to do that. They want to do decoupage or something. That's what their passion is, right? Um, and so, you know, for, for what it's worth, uh, there's a lot of people out there that were crippled by actually making decisions based on a criteria that belongs to somebody else. You are absolutely right. That is another question I was going to ask, but that's the perfect answer. They're living someone else's life or their former life because it's easy. Easy? What, what's the fun in that? Uh, so what about you, Jack? What is your decision-making criteria? Yeah, of course. And definitely uh, snaps up for Fallon and um, what she had to say, because I'm all about uh, being true to yourself and you know, what you want to be honest with why you're making the decisions that you're making. You know, who, again, are you doing it for? Um, and it's really difficult. Um, again, it took me five years um, to sort that thing out for myself in Food Finder. But now that I've got a bit more of a solid foundation, uh, my main you know, framework, if you want to you know, be visual like I am, like can think of it as you know, pyramid, concentric circles, whatever, you know, pick your poison. Um, I usually just try to sort things um, mainly professionally, but of course can be applied to your personal life. What are the things that would be nice to do or that you want to do that, you know, again, uh, touching on the earlier point of distractions. Um, you have to sort of be honest with what feels urgent or important, but maybe neither. Um, what would be nice to do? What should you do? What are you know really the more like fundamentals, the building blocks of things that, you know, again, you should be doing quote unquote, you know, huge air quotes, um, but really are in pursuit of your short-term or long-term goals. And then most importantly, most fundamentally, what things must you do? What if not done will cause things to explode or implode? Um, and being honest about just putting in, again, being honest in what's nice to have, what's uh, should to have, and then what must be done, truly what must be done. Um, that helps me sort of, uh, even that exercise in myself um, helps me feel less overwhelmed in understanding what the priorities really are. Um, because then once I have things sorted out, categorized, then you can go about, you know, just making small progress, shipping things off one at a time. I've already accepted the fact that my to-do list will never end. Um, but you can make sure that the to-do list of things that, again, truly are mm -hmm. in service of what matters to you most in your life, you can make sure that that one isn't neglected in favor of, distractions or things that may be um, really important to other people, but again, may not be um, serving the person who matters most. And that's you. I love that. And it really, it goes back to a big thing of why I do what I do is, you know, you got to choose yourself first because mm -hmm. if you don't, you, if you're not, if you're not serving yourself, you're serving no one. You're mm -hmm. not living your most authentic life. Uh, and I love the categories because that that fits into a, just about anything goes into a box. And some of the boxes you could just throw away, move on. So you can keep prioritizing the yeah. stuff at the, at the top of the list that what speaks the most to your heart, right? Absolutely. Okay, Lisa, your turn. What is your decision-making criteria? Oh, I've got to say, I'm just, I'm totally on board with Fallon and Jack, right? Just, it's so incredibly important to be strategic and holistic. We can't be one or the other. It's, it's like a, you know, the polarities, we need both, but there's got to be a third way of incorporating it. And everyone has their own ratio where it breaks down. For me, I'm definitely very strategic, but it comes down to my gut. I'm a firm believer that those who are the most strategic, they create the, it has the most freedom. 
because we can be at choice. And what Fallon was saying earlier, you know, we we have such an inherent need as human beings to belong to a community, to not be cast aside and not be looked down on, that we will do pretty much anything in order to have that feeling, including fitting in rather than belonging. And that gets in the way. A, a lot of my clients, they they go for things because society deems that that's what success is. And it's not until it's when we take that pause and we can step back as we're able to get into alignment with what we want and who we want to be. But when Fallon was talking about the, the component of doing things because society says we do, there's a Bronnie Ware, who's a palliative care nurse, wrote a book called The Five Top Regrets of the Dying. The number one regret, I wished I had lived a life true to myself and not what others had expected of me. So for me, I start with a pause. Everything I do starts with the, with a the pause and connecting to my longer term goals. Often we need that pause to actually develop those longer term goals so that my shorter term decisions are in context to all of my longer term goals. There's so many awesome things out there that are coming at us that seem like an opportunity, but it's a distraction. Only when we pause and, and connect to, is this moving me closer to where I want to go? If it's, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no, because it's not a hell maybe. Right. So we're either moving forward or, or we're moving back. So for me, the pause really aligning it. Is this where I, bringing me closer? Is this, am I on the trajectory? Am I just two degrees off? And then five years down the road, I'm going to wind up way over here. And I could go on for an hour on this, but I, I love that what you're saying, that pause. And I want to make sure that I'm hearing too, because the pause is that time for self-reflection, right? You need to remove that noise so you can really hear yourself because otherwise you're just distracted by everything else as my dad says uh don't shoot on yourself um mm -hmm. <laughs> you know you need to be free of of that i'm gonna say something deb well no i i was completely into your comment on this one now it 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 starts with choosing you and, and I put in the chat and all the notes will be on if you go to the debmethod.com slash blog, the recap and the links and all these wonderful pearls of wisdom. But I've included in that my TEDx talk, which is the magic of your motto. You know, start with what drives you and let everything else serve that. And then you can't go wrong because you have your compass as we've all been just sitting here agreeing with each other and ourselves. <laughs> So let, let's go back to the question that Fallon answered before I even asked it, love the Psychic <laughs> Friends Network here, is what causes people to have trouble making decisions? What, where does that come from? Uh, Jack, what do you think? Yeah, um, I think it's obviously a lot of things that can muddy the waters um, but I think it's, again, uh, piggybacking off what Fallon um, sort of planted the seed with earlier of competing priorities and competing consequences or fear of failure. Uh, I know when answering this question of what I saw both in myself and for people that I went to school with, I was a, a peer mentor of underclassmen, students in the business school uh, up in Michigan. And I was talking to them, you know, what's your career trajectory? Where do you want to work? Um, what do you want to do in life? You know, the small questions. And I know some of them were sure. Some of them were very sure. But I saw in more than a few, like certainly uh, a greater number than I would have thought going into it, that a lot of them you could tell when if it was the hesitancy in their voice or, again, they're just their eyes didn't light up when they were saying, yep, I want to be an investment banker or, you know, go into supply chain. It, you, you could tell that there was, um, you know, parental pressures, other paths where certainly um, I was victim to it as well, where you want to be like in sort of the bigger chunks of the pie chart, if you will. Like for me as a business school graduate, I was in like the 2% like other category of what industries people went into uh, after graduating. And it was like, that's where all the cool kids are. Um, but it's just, I think, um, trying to, again, sift, and again, we might all be violently agreeing when it comes to this point, um, the fact that um, understanding that in life, right, 
we don't want to ignore what our friends want for us or what mm -hmm. our parents want for us. But again, we're the only ones who have to sort of sleep knowing whether or not we feel we might not even be able to articulate, we, but we go to bed knowing satisfied or not, you know, fulfilled or not. So how can we have those honest conversations with ourselves? Again, as long as it takes better late than never, um, how can we just make sure that we understand what we're doing? And to your point, Deb, the, the mission, what's the why behind what we do, what we do. And if you have that, if you have those bases taken care of so much, so much else gets easier down the road. Okay, so follow up. What did you say to the people whose eyes went dead when you asked what they wanted to do, and they they just answered dutifully? Uh, I just wanted to be a voice where, again, sometimes they may have never really even had someone, which is kind of a low bar to clear. Unfortunately, they 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 may have never even had someone who was like, "Yeah, it's all right. You can like you can drop out of school. You can you know, switch to another major." You can do whatever you want. I'm not, you know, I'm not your parent. I'm not a friend. I'm not, I'm not here to judge. I just want your honest thoughts because once I know what we're working with, I want to hear the real deal because if I have the real deal, I'd rather know good or bad what the situation is because then I can make the best decisions going forward for you. And in, especially as a mentor um, to make sure that you're happy with the decisions you're making. So I think that um, that non-judgmental, -jud uh, um, role and uh, the lens with which we view those situations. Again, uh, I honestly have an easier time doing it for other people rather than myself because it's a lot easier to be objective in that sense. Um, but I think being non-judgmental, being a you know active listener, being kind to the folks um, who, again, you can hear it's, it. It can be tough what people are going through um, that they don't want to disappoint the people who are you know. Uh, who led them or who, or who helped them get to where they are now. So it's sort of a lot of, you know, sunk costs, you know, feelings built up in there as well. It's, it gets so messy, but um, just being a, a, a compassionate ear to others or again, to yourself, if need be, um, I think that can help you get to the heart of it. And a compassionate ear to yourself. I, I want to underline that <laughs> because you really, and going back to listening to your gut, right? Mm -hmm. If you're doing something and it's not the right thing and you feel it, then that is really the time to step back and find someone you trust who will be objective with you or just take the time to be objective with yourself. So important. Uh, Lisa, what do you think? What stops people from your vantage point? Oh gosh. I mean, there's, there's just so many things. It is our, it's, it's what everyone's been saying. Basically it's our, it's society's view of success. I think so many people have their self-worth connected to their net worth so that they make choices in a more habitual way of, is this moving me over here rather than making sure that it's in alignment with where we want to go, kind of like wrapping it back to the last question. So for me, it's, it's habits. I'm a total habits junkie. People don't determine their futures. They determine their habits and their habits determine their futures. So the habit piece is really key to make sure pause. That's a word that I absolutely love to really look at why am I making this choice? Is it because I think that this is what su success looks like? And that's, I mean, that for me was my biggest struggle was I had this view of who I needed to be as a business person, especially, I mean, I'm 30 years ago, there was a certain way of showing up and it was a very masculine way of showing up and not gender, but the, the energy of the masculinity and the energy of the feminine is totally different. We have to have the being and the doing but we so often have the doing down. It's the being that we're missing. And that gets in our way of making the choices that are in alignment with who we are and what success is to us specifically. We just push through until we can get to that point and have the luxury of actually slowing down and looking at, is this where we want to be? We have the doing down. We need to get real about our being. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Well, I love this whole conversation, but I think that that statement is really the crux of it. Mm. It's being, not just the doing. Uh, so Fallon, I know you kind of tangented on this before. Do you have anything else you want to add? 
Sure. I, there's a there's a lady actually. Um, her name is. I want to. I make sure I don't want to butcher it. But I, it's Cheryl Strauss Einhorn. She's the founder and CEO of a company called Divisive, which is a decision science science company, and uh, she gives a lot of talks. And she often opens with a poll. And in most of the polls, um, over ninety six percent of people say that the thing that's holding them back is fear, and that they they're afraid of making the wrong decision. And that is what that barrier is to committing to a plan and a course of action. And so when you're in that moment and you are feeling, you know, feelings that's linked to that fear emotion, maybe it's a variety of different things, but I like frameworks. And so I've got, I like powerful questions and frameworks. So I've got a series of questions that I ask myself and I think you'll recognize some of them, Deb, because they're very aligned to your Deb method when it comes to setting goals. But starting with the first question, which is, what's the issue that I'm trying to solve? Because sometimes we think that it's, but it actually isn't. You've got to create that, push that pause, like Lisa was saying, and ask yourself these questions, you know, what's the problem? And then ask yourself the question again, what's, what's really going on here? What's the real problem? And then always I like to ask the um, the black hat question, which is, do I actually need to make a decision? I think so many times we spin all our cycles around, oh, I'm going to make this decision, especially me because control freak, um, but do I actually need to make a decision? But the first one is, what's the issue that I'm trying to solve and define that? Then the next one is, what's the outcome that I'm trying to achieve? And then being able to clearly define those objectives and painting that vision or that picture towards what you're working towards is important. And then again, black hat question, is that the real objective? Um, because sometimes we, you know, and you'll see a pattern developing here, which will give you a real flavor for my personality, I think. So question three, and then is weigh the alternatives, dead method. Um, and then black hat questions, what alternative am I ignoring or ruling out without proper consideration? Because there are always those, right? And you just, your personal bias, you just... They go right by, but you've got to push that pause, like Lisa says, really interrogate yourself and put those other things back on the table. Question four, consequences. What are the consequences, my perceived consequences of making the, this decision, the decision that I want? Blackout question, are these real? Are these real consequences or are you trying to project? Are you projecting or are you mind reading? Is Jack really going to care that much if you wear that blue sweater? You know, really interrogate yourself around are those consequences real? Um, mm. And have you created time and space or are you robbing somebody of the opportunity to actually give you a real um, response? Question five, um, and I'll go growth of this, but how will I establish the things that I don't know right now? Best decisions and plans and designs come from constraint and the most holy and well-rounded best decisions come from establishing and gathering information. So how much when making the decision, um, it, they're basically educated guesses, right? So do I have all the information that I need to feel confident that I can make a decision in this moment? And if not, what do I need to do to get that information so that I can feel confident that I have enough information to make a decision in the first place because that could be a reason why people are worried and that drives that fear I don't have all of the information I'm sort of flying half blind here so take responsibility for that and then finally how much risk can you bear and then within those as you come down it's like a funnel and then every time you interrogate yourself every time you talk about it and it'll help you drive for that for that clarity. So when I'm struggling, I sit down and I ask myself those questions um, and then I play good cop, bad cop with myself. Can I add a, a book idea, suggestion? Oh, yes. Uh, there's a book called The Road to Less Stupid. I can't remember the author. I think it's like Scott Cunningham or something like that. And he, he talks about his most expensive mistake, which was multi, multi-million dollars, which he could track back to not stopping and asking the questions. It's it's a great book. And what I love is the book is broken up into all these little chapters. And at the end, he has just a slew of questions to ask yourself. So if you're struggling with one thing, you can go to that chapter. It's not, it's not like it's in you know sequential order. Really great book, The Road to Less Stupid. Really great title. 
I know, I know. It's eye-catching, isn't it? You're like, oh, I want to be less stupid. I need to read this book. It's amazing. And, uh, of course, um, I was going to ask, what's your best decision-making tips? And, again, Fallon, you read my mind, and you answered the question. So I I think I got all of your criteria in the chat for the recap. Um, And after you read it, if I missed anything, let me know, and we'll fill that in as well. But it's it is life is a decision tree, but you get to make up that decision tree. Um, so, Jack, what about you? What what are you? What is your big decision making tip? Yeah, I think without rehashing too much ground, mm-hmm. uh, my number one decision um, tip for again could be professionally, could be personally is doing that, um, again, between what could be done, what should be done, and what must be done. Um, I think taking, again, could be just a few minutes. Uh, My number one tip would be just take a few minutes to just try and think about it as hard as you can. Sort of, you know, eat the frog, get all the, you know, negative feelings out the way. And, you know, could be in your mind, could be... um, you're doing a hot pen exercise where you keep writing on a paper without stopping. So it's, you know, really, you know, close to a stream of consciousness. Um, that I think can help us extract some of those deeper considerations. What are the things that, um, are maybe a fear as Fallon was talking about? What are the fears that we may be projecting onto the situation that when we get down to it, or when we just take a bit more of a deeper dive into it, maybe is like, Oh, maybe I'm just sort of making that up or, um, uh, you know, exaggerating that risk or that fear to make me sort of feel more at ease when I stay in my comfort zone. Uh, so I think that, again, could be through writing, could be through just some, you know, really, you know, uh, intense but deliberate um, introspection and reflection. I think that um, is something that we really don't spend a lot of time doing, if at all, in our day-to-day lives. And one of my favorite quotes that uh, is sort of in that same spirit is to have us, let us live our lives by design and not by Mm -hmm. default. So let's try and be aware of when we are in autopilot mode and we may especially then uh, be that more privy to stick with what we know and to stick with the decision that may be safer or the path of least resistance which is really comfy, um, the path of least resistance. I speak from experience. Um, uh, that's just my number one tip is to sort of just put your head down, even if it's for 60 or 90 seconds, um, and see if that might actually be able to um, you know, bring out those true feelings. Now, we've already established, Jack, you and I don't know each other that well yet. But, one of my, but we're making progress, but you're going to love this. One of my favorite exercise I call directed journaling, which is exactly what you describe. You know, put the pen <laughs> to paper and get everything out of your head and onto the page because then you could see everything that's in your head. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, there it is. Um... <laughs> exactly. I mean, trying to rearrange those blocks in your head, it's difficult, much easier to like say, ah, I see. So I I just absolutely, and I love that you say it in do 90 seconds of this, because usually I I tell people do 15 minute jaunts, which I didn't think was too much time. But I love the, even if it's just a blip at a time, Mm -hmm. to just pour out your head guts. (laughs) Perfect. I'm stealing that. Amazing. (laughs) Okay, so Lisa, what do you think? What what is at the top of your of your decision making tip list? For me, I like to get everything out of my head. I love sticky notes because I can put everything down and then I can move it around in order of priority. I'm a huge fan for mapping everything out and then taking time and saying, is this a 20% item that's going to drive 80% of my results? putting those in order. And we can still get stuck when we do something like that. So my big thing is, is what's one thing that I can do that will move me closer to my goal, right? Not should do, not could do, but what's one thing that I actually can do that will move me closer to that. And 
how will I know that I'm successful? That's a very key piece is gaining clarity on what is what does success look like? Therefore, it's got a measure that we can then be tracking everything around that. Figuring out what success looks like is huge. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be, which is going back to what you were saying, you know, what are the things you can do? Success could be doing like one 10 minute thing, right? Mm -hmm. I just had a, a, a private client call this morning. She's like, hey, do you have 15 minutes just to chat? She had to have a conversation with one of her team members. And I literally said, what would success look like for you at the end of this conversation? So it's, it doesn't have to be a life altering choice. It's literally what would success look like? How do you want the other person to feel? How do you want to feel so that when you're approaching a decision, whether it's a, a conversation relationship or whether it's big life altering, that we're clear on that outcome. And going into conversations, knowing that outcome is going to help everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you go to going back to the fear thing we were talking about before, if you go into a conversation afraid, they're going to smell it, even if it's on the phone. Right. So it's a matter of the attitude, knowing the outcome you want and it helps you create that attitude. And will get you towards a more successful outcome. Oh, I mm -hmm. love these full circle things. Um, something else that the Jack mentioned a few times, which I love is, it's not just about the professional decisions. Mm. It's also about the personal decisions. And I think a lot of people get sidetracked. They just let that professional side of their life drive them. Um, so Jack, I love that you brought that up. Is that also from personal experience? Yes. Um, and again, I could be the absolute worst person to talk about this because there is Virtually no separation of church and state uh, in my life between Jack, the founder of Food Finder and Jack, the person, but a little bit of self-awareness. So, you know, we can take baby steps. Um, but I think absolutely, Deb, it is worth talking because I think that's something I did want to mention as a sort of natural extension of my decision tip, which is not only understanding what is your personal mission of, you know, what is your why, you know, what really matters to you in work and in life, because again, it's, you can sort of take the work-life balance argument as far as you want to, uh, it's saying that there shouldn't have to balance it. It should be separate of, uh, you shouldn't have to bring your whole self to work, for instance, because there are obviously some parts that, you know, you want to keep to yourself and you don't have to bring to the office, uh, things of that nature. But what I like to take it one step further is the vision of, again, in lockstep with the conversation about outcomes, what is the vision? for your best case scenario when it comes to what your life looks like um, with work just being one part of it. Um, and again, I saw this, maybe I'm just more, you know, a little bit more sort of cognizant of it, given what I saw in my secondary education of folks who was like, yeah, you know, I have, you know, friends who would go to all these really, again, prestigious uh, companies, you know, whether it's tech, you know, the FANG companies, you know, Goldman, uh, the banks and all that. And going into it, they're like, yeah, I can work 80, 100 hours a week, you know, for, you know, six figure uh, starting salary is 22 year old and a 10K signing bonus. I can so easily work 16 hours a day. Um, and then you I was like, are you sure you don't want to know why they have 90 percent turnover in the first two years? Um, so, again, right. It's just talking about if money is, you know, um, the name of the game for you, then like, cool, like no path is better than the other. But what is the vision in terms of where you want to be, again, honestly, of like get a taste for the work that you want to do, the workload that you are most comfortable with? If you want to work like 20 or 30 hours a week, then like how do you make it happen? Um, because um, understanding how all of those things sort of the different pieces of that puzzle that will then eventually form the complete mosaic of your personal life with your friends, your professional life, doing work that fulfills you, your romantic life of having, you know, uh, folks who care about you and your you know, life and family. Um, it, they're all going to be in parallel. So let's not make sure that uh, uh, we don't hang our hats um, or don't put all our eggs in one of those baskets. 
Yes, I'm just nodding. I just realized <laughs> I'm like doing the number one faux pas. Yes, of course, definitely. I love it. Gold stars, great, great assessment and great way to put that. Uh, Fallon, Lisa, do either of you have anything to add on the whole look at your personal life too aspect? Oh, you go ahead, Lisa. No, I mean, you go ahead. I'll go after you. Sure. So I think Jack has just so many great tips there. I might take it in a slightly different uh, direction, which is creating an environment in my personal life where I can make the best decisions or actively planning to make less decisions in my personal life so that I'm better positioned to make you know, big, tough decisions when something's going wrong at work. And so there are some things that I do personally that makes my life a lot easier so that I don't get this decision fatigue. So every week I do meal planning. I know what my family is going to eat every single day um, of the week. It just makes it so much easier. And I plan those things based around what activities do we have to do. So I'm not going to do something that's going to take me 40 minutes to cook on Taekwondo day, you know, so those sorts of things. Also, I, uh, reduce my responsibility around what clothes do I wear. I wear pretty much the same thing all the time and I occasionally will throw on a fancy sweater um, for something. If I have to put on hard pants and go somewhere, there's a lot of work that goes into that. But for the most part, I have uh, a standard operating procedure around what I'm going to be wearing. And that might sound a little bit bizarre or militant, but for me, that really makes a big difference in my just in my overall sense of well-being if I don't have to burn cycles around some of those easy-to-do things, which means when I'm faced with some of the harder, bigger decisions, I just feel a little bit more relaxed about the whole thing. That, that's wonderful. And hard, first of all, you know, I love it. It's like, okay, I have my own uniform, easy. I figure out my food for the week, which is one of the best productivity tips ever for anybody is to think about your food ahead of time, batcher shopping, batcher cooking, etc. So, but the part of what you said and the phrase that I love was to lessen your decision fatigue. Find places where you, it's like choosing a, a I'm not going to say stress-free life, but choosing a low stress life. That is a choice. Mm-hmm. A lot of people choose a high stress lives and they put all of their decision-making energy into that and they've got nothing left for the office. But that conscious balance decision, I think is amazing. So good on you. Where are my gold stars? <laughs> and it took me a long time to figure out that that was going to help me because I used to be, I mean, I still am, let's be real, like I'm a high stress person. I'm here for it. Eat it up. That's what I live on. Stress. My father always says that I need the stress and the anxiety to perform at my peak. There's something about the adrenaline. But it took me years to figure out that if I really invested time and effort in simplifying the simple things or removing those off my plate, it is hard for me to articulate what a massive change that has had on my emotional and mental well-being just to know that those things are taken care of. Highly recommend for anyone who hasn't tried it. Try it. It's helpful. Well, I am all about goal setting simplified. So I I love it. It it was a very, very simple way of expressing a way to simplify your life. So good on you. Love it. I I see bonus goal everywhere. Lisa, (laughs) your thought on personal goals, and then we will talk about gifting goals to the audience. So Lisa, what were you going to say? You know, just it's so very important. I think that we can have a thriving professional life and personal life simultaneously, but we need to figure out what we want and how we go about getting it because our personal life and professional life are not mutually exclusive. They're interdependent. I mean, if you have a horrible day at work, you're going to bring it home and vice, vice versa. It's so very important. One of the things that I have determined over the years is for me, when I'm a lot of my focus, I'm very driven. It's, it's been my business. What I've realized, which is really interesting to me is when I'm struggling in my business, I can always bring it back to sort of this personal component of I'm not having fun. So 
it may sound counterintuitive, but if I'm hustling and grinding and having a hard time, I know the one thing that I need to incorporate is fun in my life. And when I do that, when I can pause and go, oh, wait a minute, I'm all agitated and a little prickly here. So I'm, I need to step back and take a breather and have some fun. To be honest, sometimes that's literally putting on one of my favorite songs, probably closing the curtain so no one sees me and dancing and singing. And that shifts my energy enough to sit back down if I have to crank something out. But it is a massive piece for my success is understanding it isn't just business. And I, it's, it's again, it's, it's the polarities. You can't have one or the other in breath, out breath. Both are great, but one of them alone is, you know, not good. I love dance breaks. That's like my favorite stress release tip yeah. Yeah. Um, because it recalibrates all of your energy. So Lots amazing stuff on that. It's great. Scientific, debitific, lisatific. There we go. Whatever term we want. Um, this has been such an amazing conversation. Uh, what goals would you all like to gift our audience? So whether you're listening or watching or watching the replay, um, what's something someone can do today, tonight, tomorrow to recalibrate that decision-making skill? Yeah, oh, Jack, please. All right. Go for it. Go for it. Sorry. Not yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, I think one thing I would love because this was such a game changing uh, exercise that I did um, a few years ago uh, that I learned from Ari Weinswig, the founder of the Zingerman Community of Businesses out of Southeast Michigan. And he is um, amazing. Everyone you know that works for him can attest to the power of his belief in vision. Um, so again, for what I would recommend as um, an exercise that has helped me a ton and will hopefully help folks watching at home is to try for, again, could be 90 seconds. But honestly, when, I've, when I last did it, I think a year ago, I kept writing for 45 minutes, uh, a hot pen exercise where in unbelievable detail, you can write out what you want your life to be in two, three, five, or 10 years. And when you don't just say like, oh, I want a new house or I want to be married, but when you actually start to put pen to paper and do this hot pen exercise where you are almost like a portrait, you're describing how things feel, what the weather's like, a day in that life, um, that exercise is, it sounds sort of out there like, oh, like touchy feely, um, but the level of specificity that I was taught to bring to that visioning of your personal life, which of which, of course, work is one element, but is, again, one piece of, you know, countless other uh, pieces of that puzzle, then it helps, again, define where do you want to go? Where do you want to be in a set period of time? And then you can work backwards. You can say, well, all right, I understand what I want all these different elements of my uh, life to look like, feel like, be like. What can I then do to your point, Deb, of the habits? What habits would help me get one step closer of, you know, being on might be a journey of a thousand miles. What step can I take as I have that vision laid out? What can I do today or tomorrow? That again is honestly very small in the grand scheme of things. But if you start to, you know, let those years add up, if you take, you know, if you keep that forward momentum up, then you can find yourself in an even better place than you laid out in your head. Yes, that consistency, the little steps to get to the big picture is so important. So what are we saying? Three years, five years, 10 years? Or should we give them like one, three, five? Um, it's honestly up to whatever folks feel, again, whatever they think um, will help them do it. Uh, could be in the next year. Last time I did it, it was uh, two years out because it's still like close enough to be where like somehow 2019 is already three years ago. So it was like that was like yesterday pretty much. So um, two years, if you want to take five or 10 minutes, again, hot pen exercise. Once you start writing, don't stop. Even if you're like, uh, 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 you can just like keep writing us uh, on your paper and um, let, let just sort of that vision flow of what it would be like, what it would feel like, what food are you eating? Who are you with? Where are you living? Um, what are you doing on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, it just, it helps me a ton and hopefully it can help again, just try and sift through the, all the things floating in your ether of uh, your, your, your head guts.
and um, just help it make a bit more tangible and uh, you know visualize it, and then you can start from there. Love it, love it, love it. A uh, huge fan of the future bio, and you just like up leveled it twenty degrees. So thanks, Jack. Great goal. What about you, Lisa? What goal would you like to gift? Hmm. There's, I mean, there's just so many. It's for me, the goal is the habit of pause. I just think there's just so much power in the habit of pause. And when we can do that intentionally, we can create an intentional, connected, and truly fulfilling life, which is really why we're here. You know, time is a non renewable resource. When we can have the habit of pause, have that be our goal, and then choose wisely from that point forward. I just think it, it, everything I've seen in my life and all of my clients, that one habit alone has allowed us to just, you know, flourish. Fantastic. And so, Fallon, what is your goal? The goal that I would like to gift. I think is something related to what Lisa has said, which is in that moment of pause, in addition to that, the gift is create a space for full honesty and gift yourself a powerful question. And there's one, the most powerful question that I have found. If you're standing on the precipice of a very difficult decision and you're not ready to take that step forward, you feel like there's something holding you back. The one question is, what decision are you trying to avoid making? Ooh. So the gift is to ask yourself that powerful question and then give yourself permission to be completely honest with yourself. I love that. What decision are you trying to avoid making? And then really like call yourself on it if you're not. And know that Fallon is going to be in your head haunting you, right? Um, but really, and all of this decision-making, all of this conversation is about making your life better. Mm-hmm. What decisions do you need to make to live a better, more fulfilled life? And the more honest you are, the more likely you're going to come up with the right path to get you where you need to go. <sighs> Let's take a second and digest that. <laughs> uh, so, friends, where can people find you and learn more about you? Um, we'll go alpha order. Fallon, uh, <laughs> where can people find you? You can find me and connect with me on LinkedIn. I love to meet new friends. Come and connect with me. Tell me all about your business. And you can best connect with me. There. If you want to learn a little bit about my organization, go to www.vdance.co.com was taken, friends. So CO. Um, and that's how you can reach out to me. Fantastic. And in the recap, which again will be at the devmethod.com slash blog, I will have the links to your LinkedIn's as well as to your websites. Lisa, where can people find you? Uh, LinkedIn as well. That is my favorite platform. That's where I'm on there quite a bit. So it's just at Lisa Danforth and my website again, super easy, lisadanforth.com. Easy peasy. We like the easy. (laughs) Okay. And Jack, where can we find you, Jack? Yeah. Um, keep a good thing going. Um, LinkedIn. I think the photo used for the promo of this episode is the same as my LinkedIn photo. So that'll make it easy. You can, you know what to look for. And then um, absolutely, our website is foodfinder.us, as Deb will link. Uh, and under the About Us section uh, of our website, uh, that's where you can learn a bit about you know me, the impetus behind what caused Food Finder to get started in the first place, all the impact and the people we've helped up to and during the pandemic, um, and where if you want to learn more and donate, uh, we'd love to welcome you, you know, have you walk alongside us in our mission. Thank you. And, and really good on all of you for all that you do to make other people's lives better. And you're all doing it in different ways. And that's that's what makes community strong. Different people working towards the greater (laughs) good in doing their own thing with their own personality and their own drive. So um, thank you again 
Fallon Cryer, Lisa Danforth, and Jack Griffin for joining me. Uh, again, I'm Deborah Eckerling. I'm at the Deb Method everywhere, and you can go to thedebmethod.com slash goals to learn more about me and how I help you figure out what you want and how to get it, but also get the most out of the events that you attend. And you can, I am live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific if you want to watch and interact. And again, find and subscribe to The Deb Method on your favorite uh, podcast platform. Okay, Deb commercial over. Let's leave our audience on a high note. I would love one final tip from each of you. So Lisa, final tip. For decision-making? Whatever. Is it? Joker's wild, whatever, but decision-making is probably good. Keep with the theme. Uh, understand that when we feel better, we do better physically, emotionally, and financially. So care for yourself and everything else will just be easier. Love it. And Alan, final tip. In the famous words of Roxette, listen to your heart. I love it. And Jack, what is your final thought for today? Yeah, I'll just reiterate my uh, favorite quote of the year uh, is to try and live life by design and not default. I fall victim to it as much as anyone, but I think that intentionality of even at little things in life and in work, um, being the architect of where you are and where you're headed, um, it just help, it helps you feel better. And then you just do that much better uh, as you keep going. And again, I will uh, repeat myself, your life, your choice. So live it, do it, visualize, figure out those goals, make the decisions that you need to make to live your best life and go on out there and go for it because we know you can do it. Thanks for listening to The Dev Show. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Need more inspiration and motivation? Connect with me on LinkedIn, follow at The Dev Method on social media, and check out thedevmethod.com. Best of luck with your goals, and remember, you can do it. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.